It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Just call me Swanee. Finally, Clemson Sports Talk has come back to drive time. Hello, everybody. Lawton Swan back in the saddle once again. It is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk hanging out with you each and every afternoon on fantastic radio stations across the state like Fox Sports Radio 1400, the Midlands. Sports Radio 100.1, The Fan in Florence, 920 a.m. in Manning. Good to be with you on a Thursday afternoon. Tim Beray set to join us coming up in just a little bit. An emotional week, an emotional show yesterday. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, I hope you'll go uh, check out my opening 20 minutes at a minimum from yesterday's program to hear my thoughts and commentary on a, a lot of the things that have been going on in our country that continue uh, to go on in our country and uh, certainly uh, tried to do my best to to give you uh, some of the thoughts from my perspective and uh, my viewpoint of the scenarios. On Twitter, at Clemson Sports. That's Clemson News, Notes, Information, and more 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and your website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com, where there are several new articles up, including, man, the run that Clemson went on the past few days on the recruiting trail, not necessarily in picking up commitments, but dishing out offers to guys in that 2022 class. You can check all that out over on our website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. Out of the state of Florida today is where we begin things in Tallahassee, where new Florida State head coach Mike Norvell has himself a, in a, a bit of a pickle, so to speak. And, and again, it, it really comes down to perhaps – uh, the things that he said he did and the realities of what uh, he actually did. But uh, it's led to some pretty negative things coming from his own players. Of course, uh, Mike Norville came over the, to Florida State from Memphis. Um, he is uh, one of the youngest coaches in college football at 38, replacing Willie Taggart, who was fired nine games into his second season in Tallahassee after going 9-12 and during his first 
uh, two years there with the Seminoles. But uh, this is where Norvell's got himself in a, in a little bit of trouble. He was in an interview with The Athletic earlier this week. Norvell said that he, quote, had a lot of open communication with his players and, quote, went back and forth individually with every player this weekend. He went on to say, and that's something that was important to me because this is a heartbreaking time in our country. He said, quote, you see hate and you see discrimination. You see some of the acts that have occurred. I mean, it's a problem, and it's something that we have to stand together and we have to work to get fixed. Now, in and of itself, folks, there is nothing there that would, in my estimation, bring forth much controversy, if any, at all. Except for this, according to maybe the best player in Tallahassee, perhaps the best football player on his team, Marvin Wilson, who many project to be the first defensive lineman potentially taken uh, in the upcoming NFL draft, tweeted, man, this did not happen. We got a generated text that was sent to everybody. There was no one-on-one talk between us and coach. This is a lie, and me and my teammates as a whole are outraged, and we will not be working out until further notice. Yeah, so that happened in Tallahassee. You know, I, I think it is one thing to make the type of statement and the things that Mike Norvell said publicly if you actually did it. Even if you wanted to say, well, we sent out a mass communication to our players and those that responded we spoke with directly and we're going to talk with the team at a later date this, that, and the other. The Florida State football team, apparently, according to Athletic Director David Coburn, did meet earlier today. And so from that standpoint, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like. He did call the meeting open and candid, and he said, I believe we are moving on from there. Neither the head coach, Mike Norvell, or or Marvin Wilson could be reached immediately for comment, according uh, to ESPN. But from the standpoint of the optics of having your top player, one of the best players in college football, one of the best players in the Atlantic Coast Conference, saying, okay, not only, A, did what you said happened not happen, but we're not going to practice. We're not going to work out again until further notice. That's not the start that you want in Tallahassee. Because one of the things that we have to recognize, and I, I said this about the situation with Danny Pierman, and DJ Greenlee, and maybe this even reflects more on Canyon Tuttle in terms of your accuracy and your honesty and making sure that what you say is what actually happened. Now, I know that the human mind is not perfect. I've watched plenty of, whether it's a Netflix episode or 
uh, something on television where they'll they'll fake like a like somebody stealing a purse, and then they ask the people around who took the purse. And I mean, some people say it was a six foot four uh, guy with uh, a, a pink shirt on and 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 green pants, and somebody else will say it was a five foot five guy with uh, orange shirt uh, an orange shirt and, and yellow pants. Like it's so mixed up on what people actually look like, and it seems like the further along people go from the memory, their their mind sort of uh, you know, changes the narrative a little bit and, and fills in some blanks that really weren't there, especially if it's a real crowded environment and there's a lot going on when it takes place. But when you think about the scenarios here, these should not be things that are, I, I'm hesitant, maybe the word is misconstrued as to what happened, and that's what it feels like in both the Florida State situation with the comments that Norvell made to the Athletic and Canyon Tuttle's tweet, which made it sound as if Danny Pierman had called a player the N-word, which if you talk to DJ Greenlee and you read what he wrote and you see Danny Pierman's statement and then you you know connect the dots with some of the other players that were there, the, the, the storyline that was on social media was not the storyline of what I understand to have taken place, although, yes, the N-word was used. Now, moving forward for Florida State, I don't want to say that this is an issue, and I know our good buddy FSU Chris is out there listening to us. I know that it would be unfair to say that this is some sort of issue that that Florida State's new coaching staff should not be able to overcome. This is a this is a minor hiccup along the way. But the larger lesson, in my opinion here, is doing your best to be accurate and honest. And that was not an accurate and honest statement. And when we are dealing with the things that we are dealing with in our country, accuracy and honesty are paramount because trust is one of the things that can help get us through. Trust is one of the things that can help navigate us. And trust is one of the things that will lead us to a better tomorrow. But distrust and feeling like people are trying to create a narrative that makes them look better and brighter is false hope. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Every one of you, we have to be better. And I'm sure that there are people that listen to this show that say, man, I'm as great as I can be. But I don't think we really are. I don't think the collective majority of us are as great as we can really be. But I see people taking those strides. I saw a good buddy of mine post over on his Facebook page yesterday. He was driving home from work and he saw two African-American gentlemen sitting on the side of the road. It looked like they had maybe been working on a project. I'm not sure exactly what they were doing. 
And he started to drive by, and he said, no, you know what? Bye. This is, a, this is a unique time in our country where individuals need to know that we are together in this as human beings. And he stopped, and when he pulled over, he said that the two gentlemen looked kind of strange at him, even to a degree where I, I believe they may have stood up thinking that he was going to be aggressive towards them. And he told these guys, he said, fellas, something spoke to me and said, I need to just pull over and tell you guys I love you. And he said that these two guys' eyes started to well up and he could see the emotion uh, in their face. And as he pulled away, he recognized, you know, just how important that little moment is. I said yesterday, and I, I, I wish I could be, I wish that we wouldn't be so consumed at some point down the line with sports to the degree that I will fail to remind you of this, but maybe it should be my mission. Maybe it should be the thing that I continue to try to do uh, as a person with a voice on the radio uh, moving forward is to tell you that when it comes down to your time here, as I said yesterday, make you know, don't just be a blip, a silent blip on the eternal radar. Make a difference. And it reminds me of a time, you know, I have a career in education as well that goes along with what we do here with the show. And I remember during one of the course of events in my educational career, I was asked at one point to write down what I wanted my students to say about me long after I was gone. And so this is not a phrase that has to be something that you can't remember or carry with you in your mind. You're not going to have to write it down. It's not going to be a thesis. But my, my phrase was, I wanted my students to say, he was impactful. And that's the way I think I want everybody to speak of me long after I'm gone, is that while Lawton Swan had a fun college football program that we love talking about, the Clemson Tigers, during a historic time in their program that Gamecock fans maybe peeked over the fence and disliked, <laughs> all of those things. I hope that what will not go unrecognized by my peers in this business, by my contemporaries in education, by my family members, is that my goal was always to be impactful and to do things the right way. Am I a flawed human being? Who isn't? But I cannot, again, allow a platform that we are presented to not be used for positive growth and change. And so from that point, I'm excited, man. I'm on fire right now about what we can do with this show, about what you can do in the lives of others. 
like my friend did just by making just by doing something that you normally wouldn't have done because you were uncomfortable with it get comfortable being uncomfortable and i i i, I fear more than anything itself in more than anything do you know what i fear I fear the fact that, like a lot of things, you get through this and then something else comes on the horizon and you forget your goal. But that mission that I wrote down, that statement, he was impactful. Whatever that is for you, you should carry that every day. No matter what's happening globally, whether it's a pandemic, no matter what's going on in the world, whether it's earthquakes and hurricanes and the things that we all deal with, do not get lost in the fact that that simple phrase that you choose is something that can change the world with one moment in time. The power of compassion and being the change that you want to see in the world can make a tremendous difference. And again, this is something that is near and dear to my heart because I am pained by what I hear and see from so many people. And we are better than that. And we will be better than that. And it's people like you listening to this show and taking this into your heart and saying, you know what, Swanee? I'm going to figure out what my motto is. I'm going to figure out what I can do. And I'm going to run with it. Because that, my friends, is where true change really begins. That's where the differences and the division and the, the, the divisive things that so many want to plug into our, our conversations and our lives, that's where it ends. When you decide about what you are going to do to make that difference in the world. I don't know if he'll stop his car another day, this week, another day this month, another day this year. But I know stopping and doing what he did, given what's going on in our world, helps. It helps. 803-450-0086-803-450-0086. That's your number. You know, one of the things people ask me a lot of times here on the program is, Swanee, where's the podcast? If we don't get that podcast up. And I'm sure if you're kind of dialing through the dates, you're looking and thinking, well, where is uh, last Friday's show? What happened to last Friday's podcast, Swanee? Well, we had some uh, issues talking with Rob Sanders, who uh, helps us out with the podcast now since we're doing the show from home. Uh, there were some issues with the server that collects the audio there, and we, we had a great interview with Wes Durham, whose father, Woody Durham, was the voice of North Carolina sports, of Tar Heel sports, for 40 years. And I know so many of you would like to, to hear that. Well, what we're going to do, I do have that interview still, and I'm going to get it up over on ClemsonSportsTalk.com. Now, if you're not familiar with the website, ClemsonRadio.com will get you there as well. 
We'd love to have you come over and support us. It's $63.17 to support us for an entire year. That's premium coverage. You get inside access. Uh, we got a lot of new things cooking and coming on. And I, I really am excited about the direction because it is a site that is not only right now as of June 4th, 2020, giving you the most digital content of any Clemson site in the market. It's not going to be long before we're giving you even more Clemson content in the digital realm than any other site in the Clemson market. And that's what's exciting about it. So go check it out. ClemsonSportsTalk.com on Twitter at Clemson Sports. When we come back here on the show today, I've got a little update about a project that's been, been that has been put together by a peer of ours who recently partnered with us. I'll tell you about it after this. is the show that shakes the Southland Clemson Sports Talk. Lawton Swan hanging out with you on a Thursday. Hope you're doing good. Great to be with you and uh, obviously a lot going on uh, in our world as I mentioned just a few minutes ago. Now if you're watching during the break if you're a streamer uh, whether that's on Facebook, whether that's on YouTube, whether you're watching on Periscope you see those national championship uh, t-shirts that we made uh, a couple of years ago. Well, I told you about the website, just $63.17 for a premium subscription. But for not just our premium subscribers, right? Not just for people who have subscribed, but also for everybody. We're going to do some different where we might draw from just the subscribers and some from everybody that's just signed up. But you can get a free subscription, newsletters, updates. This is not a Wix site. No offense to Wix. This is not a... um, uh, WordPress, no offense to WordPress. I mean, this is legitimate back-end, full-throttle uh, sites in a m- huge network of sites. And I think you really appreciate it if you've never been there. And uh, to just show the power of what we're talking about, I mentioned that uh, there is a great project that's getting set to take place. Uh, the article right now over on our site, Clemson WSPA debut Clemson's Greatest Games. Uh, beginning uh, their TV series, beginning coming up this Saturday. I'm not going to play the audio because I, I know it'll interfere, but look at that. Embedded the video right there at the top. I mean, everything that you could want, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. But what's exciting about this for me, really exciting about this from my standpoint, uh, is Mark Childress, who if you follow what we've done with the website, uh, he hosts the Mark Childress Show. Uh, we have partnered with Mark to carry his program through our website and through our social media platforms and make sure that you can get the podcast editions of that show, uh, the Mark Childress show over there as well. You know, he's going to be the host on this and was a big catalyst uh, to putting this thing together. So you want to go over to ClemsonSportsTalk.com right now to learn more about all the games. They're going to be 30-minute shows. Everything starts, as I said, coming up this Saturday. Uh, It's going to be on multiple channels, including WSPA, in the upstate, WJBF over in uh, Augusta. Also going to be on Watch Fox uh, here in the Midlands of South Carolina, WCBD in, 
in Charleston, WBTW in, in Myrtle Beach. So the opportunities for those of you that live not only in the Midlands of South Carolina, uh, where we broadcast each and every day on Fox Sports Radio 1400, those of you in uh, the PD on Sports Radio 100.1 The Fan, and those of you in the Low Country on 920 AM and Manning, you all are going to have a chance to watch this series. And I'm excited because guys who are part of this show, like coming up in hour number two, Tim Beret, Ross Taylor, who was a guest on the show the other day, Don Munson, who's frequently with us during the college football season, Eric McClain, Kendall Joseph, uh, all of these guys are a big part of that. And tomorrow, Richmond Weaver, who hosts a show called Rich Take on Sports, is going to be joining us because he's been a big part of putting this thing together. And again, as I said yesterday, when we talked about great players collegiately that you never got to see play, but maybe you watched them in the NFL, I really believe that this project is a byproduct of the coronavirus and the fact that people don't have a ton of new coverage and things to talk about. So retrospectives are beautiful. And so looking over this, a couple of the games, it'll begin June 6th with Clemson's uh, 27-23 win over Syracuse back in 2008 where Lawrence gets hurt. Uh, You could call it the Chase Bryce miniseries if you will, or Saga, but that's exactly what you'll get. Then on June 13th, it'll be Clemson's 42-36 win over Louisville in 2016. That's Watson going heads up against Lamar Jackson in Death Valley. June 20th will be Clemson's 56-7 win over South Carolina in 2016. And on and on and on through the laundry list of great matchups and uh, a unique breakdown from former Clemson Tigers. And although... I got to tell you, when it comes down to the amount of time and effort put into it uh, from our standpoint on Clemson Sports Talk, I didn't have didn't have much, but it is something, uh, if any, Mark might tell you, but it is something I've known about. It's something I'm excited about. I'm proud of my good buddy, Mark Childress, and the job that he does. I'm excited about the future of what his program uh, can be as a part of our, our Clemson Sports Talk website and then ultimately uh, continuing to maybe bring in some other guys that are giving you good content and good coverage of your Tigers and really care about you know what's going on in Tiger Town and making sure that that message is heard. Like people often, I, I think, believe that my show was created to be like this rib, you know, ribbing the the Gamecock Nation in the Midlands of South Carolina. When far from it, this show was created in a lot of respects because Clemson didn't have a voice outside of the upstate. And when I started my show in 2004 slash 2005, kind of getting the you know my mind around what it would entail to become a, a podcast, uh, the reality was what it would entail to become a, a podcast, uh, the reality was you couldn't stream stuff online. There wasn't a lot of coverage about your Tigers out there. And so we've been able to not just grow that into a radio show that's syndicated in the state and continuing to add new markets, but viewable on all types of content, you know, sites, whether that's Facebook, YouTube, uh, or even Periscope, which is, I guess, slash Twitter, and to grow an audience that's live and through the podcast. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the things that I could have never have envisioned uh, in my life, and to still continue to push this thing forward with the most digital content of any site covering your Tigers is a big deal because we are digital people. It, we, 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 we live 
eat, sleep, and breathe sometimes on our telephones. And the ability to pop an earbud in and just rock and roll with anything uh, is amazing in and of itself. And some of the great features, I, I told you, it's not a Wix site. It's not a WordPress site. If we post a video of a post-game interview and you're worried about your data, which I know you are because the data is not free for everybody and it's not unlimited for everybody, there's a button that will convert it for you to audio. So you don't have to even, you know, so you could save your data and listen to those post-game uh, press conferences, etc. And what YouTube and other sites can't offer you is that opportunity and that option. So again, if you think it's worth $63.17, that's right. Perfect number, right? 63.17. Gamecocks love it when you tell them how much it costs. But you can uh, be a part of it and help us grow. Now, college football, seemingly on the horizon. And the experts over at Fox College Football, including Urban Meyer, uh, were talking about the best quarterbacks in college football. We'll hear from Urban Meyer what he had to say about it right after this. Stay with us. Clemson Sports Talk on a Thursday. The show that shakes the Southland. Lawton Swan hanging out with you. Appreciate uh, the opportunity to be a part of that great project there uh, coming out of Tigertown with JMI Sports and uh, my good buddy Mark Childress. Tomorrow, as a matter of fact, uh, we will be joined by uh, Richmond Weaver, who was a part of that deal, uh, to find out a little bit more about uh, the ins and the outs of putting together that greatest game series that Clemson Tiger fans will be able to to enjoy. And speaking of great games, last season in the Fiesta Bowl, Clemson and Ohio State had a heck of a matchup. And obviously, Clemson down 17 to nothing. And Trevor Lawrence leading the Tigers back. And Travis Etienne's big plays. And ultimately, an interception uh, in the, the end zone by Nolan Turner uh, with, with Justin Fields putting his hands on his head. Uh, was the the final nail in the Buckeyes coffin before Clemson advanced to the national championship. Well, Urban Meyer, former Ohio State head coach and and current analyst for uh, Fox College Football, and also oddly enough, works still in the uh, athletic department there at Ohio State. I did not realize that uh, was talking on one of their college football shows. Uh, I guess the Big Noon Kickoff Group. Uh, we're talking about their top quarterbacks in college football heading into the 2020 season. And here's exactly what Coach Meyer had to say on that front. Sure. I uh, I had Fields and Trevor right next to each other. You know, I put Trevor Lawrence for one reason. He played one more year. That was it. Uh, the one thing I want to say about Justin, because Justin Fields, because I'm very close to the situation, any concerns about him being a thrower, throwing quarterback are gone now. Yeah, He's developed. He, he's, he's outstanding. I hear the guys talk. I talked to Coach Day. And obviously the quarterback coach I'm very close to, uh, you know, comparisons to Dwayne Haskins are, are everywhere now as far as throwing the football, which that's an elite thrower. I love Sam Ellinger just because he's a returning quarterback. I love who he is. I love what he stands for. Uh, that team has to get better. The guy that I love, I love Slovis. I, I think the mm-hmm. fact that there's a returning, there's a returning uh, uh, offense coordinator and they throw the ball everywhere. So mm-hmm. what dictates, I guess the question I would ask, to me, what dictates the best quarterback in the land is are you a winner and can you win the championship? That remains to be seen at USC. However, statistically, 
you're probably looking at the guy that will have the best stats for the season yeah. because of the style right. of offense. They throw it all, you know, they don't run the ball. So yeah. statistically, I, 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 that's now how I pick my favorite quarter or the best quarterback. Mine's going to be who can lead his team to a championship. That's why I have uh, Justin and Trevor, number one. And then I also, uh, Kyle Trask, I just believe in Dan Mullen. I've seen what he can do with a quarterback, a returning quarterback. It's well documented. I put him and Ryan Day as the two best I've ever been around. And I, I just think he's got good people around him, another year in the system, and a very talented quarterback. So there you go, the words of Urban Meyer when it comes down to uh, the top quarterbacks in college football. And again, uh, putting Trevor Lawrence just ahead of Justin Fields simply because Lawrence uh, had an additional year under his belt. Although both players are juniors, but Justin Fields did not play very much his freshman year there at Georgia before transferring to Ohio State. As for everybody else, Rob Stone, a, a member of the college football, uh, Fox College football crew, uh, had Trevor number one, Justin Fields two, Kyle Trask at Florida three, Bo Nix, uh, the son of Patrick Nix at Auburn, is four, and number five, Sam Howell. And Sam Howell out of the Atlantic Coast Conference shows up several times in, in these lists as high as number three based on the college football Fox fans who had Justin Fields one. These are the fans again. Fields one, Trevor Lawrence two, Sam Howell three, Keaton Slovis four, and Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma uh, were fifth, according to the fans. Now, Brady Quinn, former Notre Dame quarterback, maybe a little lean towards the Irish. Uh, he had Trevor Lawrence one, Justin Fields two, Ian Book, the Notre Dame quarterback at three, Sam Ellinger from Texas at four, and Kyle Trask five at Florida. Matt Leinert, former Southern Cal quarterback, went Trevor Lawrence one, Justin Fields at Ohio State two, Sam Ellinger three, Kyle Trask at Florida four, and Sam Howell five at North Carolina. No Keaton Slovis from Southern Cal, so Matt Leinert did not uh, commit to throwing a uh, Southern Cal Trojan into his top five. Reggie Bush, another member of the Southern Cal football program, had Justin Fields won. By the way, Bush was the only expert on Fox's coverage that had Justin Fields ahead of Trevor Lawrence outside of the fans, as I mentioned. Uh, Reggie Bush had Justin Fields one, Lawrence two, Ellinger at Texas three, Bo Nix four, and Tanner Morgan, the quarterback at Minnesota, at number five. Now, Joel Klatt, who I think it may be fair to say is Fox's version of Kirk Herbstreet, sort of uh, their media face when it comes to college football, Joel Klatt had Lawrence one, Fields two, Ellinger three, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma four, and Keaton Slovis at Southern Cal, uh, coming in at number five. And finally, the one that Urban Meyer read you moments ago, Lawrence, Fields, Ellinger, Slovis, and Trask. One, two, three, four, and five. So again, the Clemson Tigers will head into the 2020 season with Lawrence and a boatload of talent around him. And obviously, uh, minus Justin Ross does not change um, exactly what Lawrence could end up doing. I think it was interesting to note about Keaton Slovis in Southern Cal, you heard Urban Meyer reference the fact that they love to throw the football down the field, and they think that he could ultimately have uh, some of the best numbers uh, in college football. And, and from Clemson fans' perspective, I think a, a fair thing to consider about that is, man, when you got a guy like Travis Etienne, you're going to feed him. When you got a backup like Lynn J. Dixon, you're going to feed him. And I had a chance today on my good buddy JB and Goldwater's program uh, to talk about that. And they were just kind of yucking it up because every time we go through a player, you know, when I, and I guess, well, what's going to happen when Justin Ross is down and I run through Frank Ladson and Joseph Ngata and I talk about 
uh, EJ Williams, and we talk about maybe Cornell Powell getting a chance to finally showcase his skills. They're like, well, what about Jerry Rice? When's Jerry Rice going to get in there? Because, I mean, Clemson's pretty loaded in a lot of respects. And so you start to, you know, you go further down the list. You got a freshman five star running back named Demarcus Bowman coming in that a lot of people think could have a big season this year in a backup capacity at running back. And it's a crowded, it's a crowded locker room. But now with the new freshman rule where players get a chance to play four games, you're going to see all of these guys at some point. It's not a matter of, uh, it's not a matter of if they're going to play. It's a matter of when they're going to play. And for one, that's a very good thing, I think, about where we are now with college football because you do get to see these guys more often. They get to step out there and get on the field before they're quote-unquote redshirt freshmen. And that's awesome. We hit a break. Stay with us. Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan, hanging out with you on a Thursday. I mentioned uh, Florida State and the situation uh, down there with their brand-new head coach, Mike Norvell. Well, uh, some good news coming out of the meeting that they held uh, just a little bit ago, uh, according to some reports that I see in front of me. Florida State star defensive lineman Marvin Wilson in a, uh Instagram video said that he had a he had to take a stand for college athletics and George Floyd when he disputed Mike Norvell's comments about how the coach responded to the team. We mentioned that earlier. Uh, Norvell in an interview said that he had contacted, had one-on-one conversations with every player. Uh, his best defensive player, one of the top defensive players in all of college football, said, whoa, 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 that's not how it happened, and we're not going to practice. We're not going to work out again until you tell the truth about the situation. Well, according to uh, an article from ESPN, after a team meeting Thursday, Wilson revealed on Instagram uh, a post in which he thanked his coach for encouraging him to use his platform to speak for what him and his teammates believe in. Uh, Wilson also said that the team came away from that meeting with three goals, voter registration for players, fundraising efforts to help send more black children to college, and fundraising specifically to help children in Tallahassee, Florida. So it sounds like uh, who... You know, Wilson, who's the captain of the team, uh, that they were not going to practice or work out until further notice. Uh, it sounds like uh, sounds like he's and the coach and the players have all come together. Now, that in and of itself, if you're a Florida State Seminole, uh, is good news. And I know our buddy FSU fan is uh, excited to hear that because, as I mentioned, like your continuity – in the locker room. Yeah, that was that was Urban Meyer. Clemson Tom wants to know uh, a few minutes ago. Um, the continuity in the locker room. The trust, the things I talked about, is paramount to the success of your program. You have to be able to trust the men at the top. Have to. And so that's where I think if we you know, look at the scenarios in which in the ways in which Clemson recruits right now for families, it is yes about football, but there's a bigger focus to it all. And some of that was obviously called into question, especially nationally by a lot of people given uh, Dabo Sweeney's statement 
which I, again, want to say it's very difficult when the mic is hot to make sure you say and express everything you want to express. I do it every day. Like Dabo, Dabo Sweeney does it occasionally. And if you're not reading off a script and you're speaking from your heart, you might leave out the thing or two you wanted to get in there. You go back and you go, man, because I, I, I used to do this all the time. I go, ah, I didn't get the, the point I exactly wanted to reach. I didn't quite get there. And you don't know sometimes if you have. If you put out a polished memo that's cleaned up by multiple people, it's not as it's not as difficult to receive some backlash for your statement. Flipping the mic and going, it's, it's tougher. So I think one thing you have to do is you have to commend him because he spent plenty of time on the topic trying to address it the best way he felt possible. Also, again, you have to remember he, he's trying to give a vision of something he's never really experienced and trying to say the right things. That in and of itself is hard. Doesn't excuse it for not being better, but it hopefully helps you understand how you can miss the mark uh, when that stuff's going on sometimes. And I thought what he said was good, but I think it could have been better. But from that standpoint, you also lead yourselves into that trust factor. And, you know, when, and this is why when anybody's asked me about it, whether that's the Danny Pierman situation, I've said, listen to the players. What do they say? You know, you, you could come to me, and I gave you my opinion, but I wasn't on the field. I don't know exactly what took place. I'm telling you what I've been able to gather. But listen to the players. That's where your focus needs to be. What are the former players saying? What are the current players saying? And I think it's also very important. Maybe paramount to this discussion. And I don't know if he's tweeted anything else since, but to recognize that Canyon Tuttle's account was not actually what happened. That's important too. That is because Canyon Tuttle's account is is a fireable offense for any coach. I don't care what color. Black, white, yellow, green, purple, blue, or violet. Doesn't matter. Any coach. That's a fireable offense. And so, you know, trust is key. And former players and current players and staff members, um, some would say, oh, yeah, they got to protect, they got to protect Dabo Swinney. I mean, there, there's that group out there that would believe that. Normally, those are going to be your opponents, <laughs> your rivals, right? I don't think I don't think it's a ton of Clemson people uh, say, oh, they just got to protect Dabo. I think that's what your rivals say because they want to do anything they can to undermine the success that you've had. But I think current players like Mar- – I mean, look at, look at the situation at Florida State with Marvin Wilson. Current players stand up saying, whoa, 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 nope. That's not what happened. So I think we're at a point where people are going to stand up and say, nope, that's not what happened. And that's – not really what happened with this situation with Danny Pierman. Players stood up and said, yeah, that account, not exactly what went down. What Canyon said, mm-mm, wasn't the case. And so, 
I think that really helped in this matter uh, because otherwise it's an absolute fireable offense. It is a reprehensible mistake, but I think it's not that was not fireable the way that took place and knowing the relationships between the guys and the fact that Greenlee's father's on staff and this, that. And I mean, there's a lot of connections there where this is an in-house deal. And Greenlee said it best. You can't hold a grudge forever. And he's, he's passed it. Hour two, Tim Beret joins us. Stay with us on the show that shakes the Southland. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Just call me Swanee. Tiger style. Tiger is our number two that's drive time right here on the show that shakes the southland clemson sports talk lawton swan hanging out with you on a thursday and you know when you hop in the car to head home from work on a thursday afternoon that can mean only one thing legendary clemson sid longtime clemson sid tim beret uh joining the program so we'll try to get up with tim here uh momentarily 803-450-0086, 803-450-0086. And, you know, when we get a chance to talk to Tim, man, it is always incredible because there are so many things that uh, he can look back on and discuss with us. And what's really cool uh, from my standpoint of of this new series that Clemson's got coming out this weekend, Clemson's Greatest Games, uh, Tim's a big part of that, as you would expect. I mean, it's not like that's um, it's not as if that's some uh, breaking news on that front. But Tim, man, good to have you on the program. Hope you're doing well. Doing just fine, Lawton. How you doing? Listen, I am fantastic, and I, I'm excited because I know that you know this this brand new series is getting set to debut uh, coming up this weekend on uh, Clemson's greatest games and. Uh, I've got that up on our website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com, but, but I know you and my good buddy Mark Childress were certainly a big part of that. Tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I went over to Greenville in a studio and uh, did some uh, interviews just about, uh, uh, well, I did four games to begin with. I think we're doing them in, in three uh, four-game sets. So the... Uh, First game I think they're showing Saturday uh, night is the uh, Syracuse game. Now, these are half-hour shows. These are not, uh, you know, the full game, I believe. And uh, the uh, stations that show the Dabo Sweeney show, I believe, are going to uh, be showing them. But, it's uh, yeah, they have a lot of interviews in them. It's not just re-showing the tapes of games like we've seen on ESPN or the ACC uh, network. It's uh, more kind of behind the scenes and maybe some stories that that took place and, and you know, players uh, you know, remembrances of uh, 
of uh, what took place and, you know, maybe some interesting facts or behind-the-scenes uh, stories about games. I think one of the, the things that's amazing about sports and sports fans is perhaps otherwise in his career, uh, 20 years from now, people might not remember necessarily what team Chase Bryce was on or, or what impact he had in the program. I mean, there are a lot of names that get lost. But when you have a moment like Chase Bryce had in that game and, and with everything surrounding it, uh, it's a name that maybe doesn't have huge stats, but lives in the history books possibly forever. Yeah, oh yeah, no, uh, without a doubt. And it's it's even uh, more interesting to review these games when you know not only the outcome of the game, but the outcome of the overall season. You really have an appreciation for uh, you know the impact this one game had. Uh, you know, we co- coaches always talk about how, you know, every game counts, every play counts. Uh, well, when you watch that Syracuse game, uh, you'll you'll really remember that. I, I think, you know, just for just uh, a couple of years ago, you know, we think, well, you know, Clemson just ran over everybody and won the semifinal by 27 and won the finals by 28. <laughs> right. But people forget. If we didn't win that Syracuse game, we wouldn't even have gotten in the ACC championship game. It's and, a fair uh, you know, yeah. that probably wouldn't have won a national championship. So, uh, you know, when you remember that now, when you when you watch the feature on this uh, this game and keep that into account, you see how big a lot of the plays were um, in that game. Tim, from your recollection, do you, do you have anybody else? By the way, Tim Beret with us on Twitter at Tim Beret, a legendary Clemson SID. Do you have? Uh, is there a similar story in the Clemson you know narrative that that has where something like that took place? Even though a team maybe didn't go to win a national championship, but is there a a moment that you recall where a, a backup, whether it's a quarterback or running back or whatever, sort of led the way to a big victory like that? Um, you know, there were some, uh, you know, the, yeah, I know you think about the, uh, from the NFL standpoint, the thing that comes to mind is that, uh, I think of that quarterback, was his name Hogan Boom, who came off the bench for the, for the Cowboys on a Thanksgiving, uh, day, and he really didn't do a whole lot, um, you know, other than that. Um, I guess the Frank Reich deal you know, with, better, uh, B- Buffalo would be yeah, one. Yeah, Frank Reich and the, uh, the comeback of that. So the uh, for uh, for Buffalo, I know against Houston in the in the uh, in the playoffs. Um, you know there were a couple of games like that, maybe during um, uh, 1981, especially early um, in the season. Uh, and there were some you know defensive. Play- you know we had a game against uh, Tulane that we only won 13 to five early in that uh, in that season. And I know we had a lot of. Uh, turnovers that were forced there were some defensive players that maybe not have been um you know had a lot of uh notoriety um who uh, who had a big impact in that uh in that game um so yeah there have been there have been other games maybe not in such you know pivotal seasons where you've had guys who have uh you know come off the bench or or have their uh have their moment of glory I'm looking at – I've got one of those old historic Clemson clocks behind me of the 82 
national championship, and you brought up that Tulane game, and it, it, it got me looking at that team. And for fans that don't know, I mean, that defense gave up 10 points to Walford, 5 to Tulane, 3 to Georgia, 3 to Kentucky, none to Virginia, 10 to Duke, 7 to NC State, 24 to Wake, but in fairness, they scored 82, so that happens. 8 to North Carolina, 7 to Maryland, 13 to South Carolina, then 15 in the national championship. I mean, you talk about a defense that didn't give up more than a touchdown uh, pretty much the entire season outside of that Wake Forest game in the in the uh, regular season, at least. Yeah, I think we only gave up eight point eight points a game, something like that. Now, of course, we all know game, uh, you know games were lower scoring back then, played a little bit more close to the uh, vest, and we had a more conservative uh, offense that played to our strength, which was our uh, defense. But there were so many great uh, players on that team. Our doctor said something about Jeff Davis. But Jeff Bryant on the defensive line was a uh, top ten pick. Dan Benish was an All ACC player, of course. Yeah, Terry Kennard back at uh, at free safety. You know, there's only been one Clemson. There's only been one recruiting class in ACC history, at least so far, that has had two uh, players go on to make the College Football Hall of Fame, and that's Clemson's recruiting class of 1978. Because Jeff Davis and uh, Terry Kennard both came in in the same class and and went on to the Hall of Fame, and they were first team All Americans on that on that 1981 team. So, you know, today we tend to think a lot more about uh, offense, but in those days kind of defense uh, dictated a lot of that. Oh, listen, that was uh, sort of the the pride and joy, I think, of Clemson Tiger fans for so many years. And Tim Beret knows all the memories. Again, legendary Clemson SID on Twitter, at Tim Beret. He's here every Thursday to, to take a look back at those moments and, you know, I, I go back to that game, and that also, I think, a storyline that may have been lost in the wash at this point for some people was that was the following game after Kelly Bryant left the program, and the topics for that entire period were, well, what happens if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt? What happens if Trevor Lawrence gets hurt? And you you see this happen before your eyes, you're like, our worst nightmare. You could feel that in the stadium that day. Walk us back to that moment for you. Well, I got to be honest with you. Uh, that day, I was in France. <laughs> were you doing? Were you on the? I was, uh, I was at the Ryder Cup that, doing your uh, golf that stuff? weekend. No, so I was not at. I was actually not at that game. But I can tell you, I was sitting <laughs> in a bed in. In my hotel in Paris, we had got we had gotten off the air, and I got home in time to uh, put it on my computer and actually listen to the Clemson radio network and lived and died with every uh, with every call. So I was following it along, actually texting uh, my cell phone was working, so I was texting <laughs> some notes to Sanford Rogers, who was relaying them to uh, to uh, to Don Munson. So uh, I, I even talked about that on. I don't know if they'll use it or not, but on the uh, <laughs> on the first show, how uh, it was an unusual experience for me to be listening to such an exciting game uh, five time zones away in France. <laughs> that's that's incredible, Tim. Because I mean, I'll be honest with you, I think maybe this is um, a, a misnomer because of your post Clemson career. I think everybody just assumes you read every game, right? I mean, that's just yeah. the assumption. 
I'm oh. at most. I'm at most of them. There be, might be a couple of. <laughs> I didn't miss uh, but one game last year due to golf. I missed about five uh, two years ago, but uh, and I might miss a couple this year. But we'll just see how the golf season goes. But anyway, getting back to that Syracuse game, uh, yeah, that was just uh, you know amazing the way that that turned out. And um, but you know all along, Dabo was had faith in in Chase Bryce and said we can win True. with Chase Bryce and. He certainly proved it. Well, and Chase Bryce will get his chance perhaps up at Duke this year with uh, Coach Cutcliffe and, and, and that squad. And, you know, I, I really think when you look at the Atlantic Coast Conference right now, people obviously talk about Trevor Lawrence. They talk about Sam Howell at North Carolina. Uh, what type of guy do you think Duke's going to have there in, in Chase Bryce in the upcoming campaign? Yeah, well, he's, uh, you know, he's played in big games, obviously, and uh and the big thing, you know, he knows what it takes to uh, to win at a high level. I mean, he's been around everybody in this program. He's been around every phase of this program, and um, and I think uh, he can bring a lot of that to uh, to Duke and 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 you know be a leader. And and the good thing, you know, he, he he's got two years. He doesn't have just one. True. So uh, you know they'll be able to invest a little bit more in him. You know, because of that. But I, you know, knowing Chase personally, his personality, um, you know, he's just a guy that you gravitate uh, towards, and uh, I think he's going to be uh, terrific for uh, for Duke. Hanging out with Tim Bure here on on Clemson Sports Talk, the show that shakes the Southland. And Tim, I, I, you know, was telling you before the before the show that in addition to. Clemson's greatest games that I, I kind of want you to think about some of those great individual performances. And one of the things that's always shocked me, and I think it speaks more about Clemson's offense than anything else, was the fact that it wasn't until my freshman season, and you you correct me if I'm wrong, my freshman season at Clemson, or freshman year at Clemson, uh, or his freshman year, I guess, maybe, or I, I don't remember the exact year. Now they're all running together, but... Um, Rod Gardner, the first thousand yard receiver, was in you know my career at Clemson, and I think he had the first ten catch game in Clemson history. Now you're a guy that knows all the ins and outs of Notre Dame football and this that and the other. It feels like that is a stat that's just essentially unheard of. That at some point in the mid '90s that that took place. Yeah, actually, I believe uh, Phil Rogers had a ten catch game. For uh, for Clemson uh, way back in the uh, in the in the '60s, there were a couple of seasons where uh, Coach Howard did throw the ball um, a good bit. But but by and large, what you're saying is true. We really didn't start uh, the uh, ponderance of passing in a lot of high stat games until 1999, when when Coach Bowden uh, got here and uh, and really got the passing game going, you know, with the Woody Dantzler and Brandon, you know, Brandon Streeter in 1999 started the season as the starter. Would have started a lot more, except, you know, they, he, uh, he got hurt a lot, but you're, uh, but you're right in the, in calling out, uh, you know, Gardner and uh, the many big games that he had in 1999 and, uh, and the 2000 season, a lot, a lot of uh, 100 yard games and 10 catch games and, and you're right, it's just continued to grow, you know, to the point where, you know, Sammy Watkins uh, had over 100 catches in a, in a season and had 16 catches for 227 yards against Ohio State in that Orange Bowl. And that is, 
that's now the existing record. It's incredible, though. The first single-game 1,000-yard receiver, I mean, that just blows my mind that we were almost, you know, at the year 2000 before that happened. That just I, – I feel like if you if I said, hey, Tim, who's the first Notre Dame guy with a 1,000-yard receiver, you say, Swanee, it happened in 1896. You know, it's like – it's just a stat that yeah, actually, is astounding. Yeah, actually, Notre Dame was a little bit ahead of the game there. Tom Gatewood actually had a 1,000-yard season way back in 1970 when Joe Theismann – was uh, was his uh, was his quarterback? See, that's more uh, reasonable. So they, uh, <laughs> they they had a little bit a uh, little bit of a more of a head start, but uh, in in having a more diversified um, offense, um, I remember actually in 1970 they had exactly 255 yards rushing and 255 yards passing uh, per game that season, which was unheard of to have a 500 yard. Wow. Um, on total offense, so and there were other there were other teams, you know, in the '60s, Tulsa. If you look up the record books in like 1965, Tulsa had a quarterback named Jerry Rome and a receiver named Howard Twilly, and they had uh, they had great numbers even with just a 10 game schedule uh, back in those uh, those days. They both were on the play in the NFL, by the way. Now, from the standpoint, Tim, of the Clemson Tigers. Um, what are some of the better performances, you know, in an individual game that is, have, has kind of left you staggered in terms of the numbers when you are crunching them there in the press box prior to heading down for the post-game interviews? Do you recall any of those that really, really stand out? Uh, yeah, and course, you know, it would probably be good to – I can kind of reflect on some of the games that you're going to see in this series over sure. the next 12 weeks. Uh, you know, of the summer, you know, one of the games they're going to show is uh, that Louisville uh, game with uh, Lamar Jackson and and Deshaun Watson and uh, the incredible total offense games. And actually both of them had that day. Uh, I remember Jackson had 165 yards rushing in that game as a quarterback and threw for 280 yards. And Deshaun, I think, uh, threw for 295 and ran for 100. 20 something like uh something like that um they're going to show the uh maryland game of 2011 holy cow that was a game remember maryland actually did play in the acc i think it was 52 45 something like 54 46 yeah 56 45 sammy watkins uh sammy watkins had uh 345 yards all-purpose running in that game and i actually have a picture that i'm going to send to them of me after the game as we're coming off the field uh, with Bravo, and I'm kind of whispering to him or telling him that Sammy had, and this is like just his sixth game, had broken C.J. Spiller's all-purpose running record, you know, uh, with <laughs> 345 yards, and that's something Dabo never thought, and he just started laughing, and uh, I've got a great still picture of him laughing when I um, tell him that uh, as we're coming off the uh Feel that was uh, a terrific performance by uh, Sammy, you know, without a without a doubt. And uh, you know, there's there's a couple of Taj Boyd games in there that are going to be uh, shown. Um, I think the Auburn game of of 2011, which was really a breakout game for the for the Clemson offense, and we could really see what Chad Morris's offense was was going to do. That was a game we had. 600 yards total offense uh, against an SEC team that actually was the defending national champion and had won 17 games in a row. That really uh, piqued the interest of the of the nation. 
I cannot wait for the series. Again, it kicks off this weekend. Clemson's greatest games. Tim Beret, always here on Thursdays. Tim, I hope you have a great week, and I really look forward to chatting with you next week, my man. Sounds good. Take care a lot. On Twitter, at Tim Beret. Don't forget his app, Tiger Trivia. Uh, that is a that is a, a fun, fun uh application for Clemson Tiger fans on their devices to uh, quiz each other and, and go back and forth. Again, check it out, Tiger Trivia uh, with Tim Beret. All right, so we'll hit a quick break. Man, some memories there. Uh, thinking about that Sammy Watkins game. Boy, that was a wild one. That 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 game against Maryland, that was the only thing that gave you hope <laughs> when you were getting crushed in the Orange Bowl. Uh, we hit a quick break. Uh, getting crushed in the Orange Bowl uh, by West Virginia, that is. We hit a quick break. We come back with more. the show that shakes the Southland Clemson Sports Talk on a Thursday, getting set to head into a beautiful weekend here. Won't be long, folks. (laughs) Won't be long. Well, earlier in the program, I was talking about uh, college quarterbacks and the fact that Fox's analysts, you know, really buy into Trevor Lawrence as being the best quarterback in college football outside of uh, the fans and, and Reggie Bush. But you know, one of the things that I think can be lost at times, and ESPN analyst Ryan Clark uh, expressed concerns, oddly enough, about Trevor Lawrence and uh, what type of player he was. And here's what Clark said in an interview with 247 Sports. Speaking of Lawrence, he says, He has it all. He's tall. He has a cannon. He understands the game. But being on the sidelines against LSU in the national championship, he was off and he wasn't good. You can speak about 394 yards passing, but I'm talking about the errant throws. I'm speaking of having T. Higgins, who was an early second-round pick, and Justin Ross on the other side with Travis Etienne and not being able to move the ball and it largely being Trevor Lawrence's fault. He said, quote, Do I think he is every measurable you need? Do I think he's going to be an excellent professional football quarterback? I do. He said, but right now, looking at Trevor Lawrence, even though he has a transcendent level talent level, I have not seen a transcendent football player now here's a couple of things that i i want to say to address this first and foremost uh, this is a kid who became only uh, mind you the second freshman since 1985 to win a national title i don't believe that's the second freshman all time maybe it is and i've just forgotten it if it is text me and let me know i'm i'm, I'm wrong on that front 803 Double O eighty six. One of the things about that LSU game, you may recall a lot of high throws from Trevor Lawrence, and it was frustrating for a lot of people from that standpoint. But again, I don't think that uh, the measure of a man is determined by the outcome of one ball game solely. And when you look at his career at Clemson and what he's done, the kid has been tremendous. Now, from what I've heard from a number of people is that Trevor Lawrence was dealing with a little bit of a shoulder injury uh, in that game against LSU, and that may have been a part of some of those high throws that you saw. But but what else do you want to do? I mean, if this is your leader 
you want him to be there in, in the face of the heat and the battle. And again, you have to also give credit to LSU because LSU did a good job at the line of scrimmage pressuring Trevor Lawrence. They did a good job in coverage downfield. And the, the fact of the matter remains, when you go back to that game, Clemson led it 17-7. to you, you, may, you may have forgotten that fact because that seems to slip by a lot of people's minds because of the, the final outcome. But let me say this in no uncertain terms. Even at 42-25 to being the final score, Clemson wasn't exactly beaten off of the field, even though Burroughs' six touchdowns were sort of a, a, a thing, or five touchdowns passing, I believe he had one rushing, were, were sort of a thing that you know maybe took the onus off of what Clemson had done heading into that game, winning uh, 29 consecutive matchups, playing for a second consecutive title, uh, leading that game again at one point, as I mentioned a few seconds ago, 17-7 to seven, uh, in the second quarter. Now, LSU struck back pretty quickly uh, to take to cut Clemson's lead to 17-14, and then just a few minutes later, they end up going up 21-17 uh, with about five minutes left, where that game really took a turn uh, was right before the half when – LSU ended up scoring uh, one final time with 10 seconds left after getting the ball back and and, and driving down the field and, and scoring before the half. But really, the second half, Clemson comes out, they score, uh, they go for two, they get a two-point conversion, and, and then all of a sudden, a game that at the break maybe felt like it was getting away from you People forget that that game was 28-25 up until the five-minute mark of the third quarter. It was 28-25, three-point game. It didn't become a 10-point game until five minutes and 13 seconds were left uh, in the third quarter. So let's not act as if, you know, even though Trevor Lawrence wasn't perfect, that LSU just throttled Clemson. It was a three-point game with five minutes and 14 seconds left. Now, in the third quarter, I should let me let me let me correct that because some people say, "What? What?" Now, where it really felt like it was starting to get out of hand was obviously in the fourth quarter. LSU scored with 12 minutes remaining and took a 42-25 lead, and then we're just kind of able to sit on it. But after Clemson scored with 10.49 left in that ball game, on a three-yard Travis Etienne run, Clemson scored with 10.49 left in that ball game, on a three-yard Travis Etienne run, you go back and look at what Clemson did from a standpoint of giving the ball to Travis Etienne, and they hashtag didn't. And I know they regret it looking back at it. 15 carries, 78 yards, a 29-yard run uh, in that ball game. I mean, he's a guy you got to feed, especially, in my opinion. And I don't know how much of it were checks at the line of scrimmage by Trevor Lawrence and decisions that were made there. But I think you have to have a conscientious effort in a game of that magnitude against a team like LSU to run the ball and keep it out of Joe Burrow's hands. So what I thought we would do is, in the final segment of this hour, let's go back through 
And again, because I, I think the basis is way off. Trevor Lawrence has a ton to prove. It's not a, you know, isn't a transcendent talent. But let's go back through what happened when that game was 28-25 to 25 LSU. And Clemson was honestly on the verge of maybe taking the lead, getting things, as people may say, quote-unquote, back to good, but instead uh, weren't able to do so. And they had a couple of possessions, at least one, and then a few others that slipped away from them. 803-450-0086, that's your text line. That is also your phone line. You can leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you from that standpoint. You can be a part of the program uh, anytime, any place, anywhere, even if you are a podcast listener to the show. We hit a quick break. We come back. We look at those possessions hey, right after this. It is the People Show Clemson Sports Talk. Lawton Swan, your host on Twitter at Clemson Sports. Do you follow us yet? You should. Head over there and follow us. Are you a member on our website yet? If you're not, come join us. You can get free memberships. You can support us for $63.17. That comes down to 18 cents a day. If this show is worth you know two dimes a day, step on in and be a part of it. And that includes this show and everything else that you get uh, in abundance. We just need your support to help us grow. And so many of you say, Swanee, I'm going to get on there. I'm going to support you, man. Well, this is the time. Take those steps forward. Help make a difference with what we are doing uh, if you are not a premium subscriber. Okay, so down 28 to 25, uh, Clemson ends up kicking off, and LSU takes over uh, after a touchback. Uh, Joe Burrow gets sacked on the first play. Uh, On the second play, Burrow completes a pass to Jamar Chase for 13 yards. LSU's facing a third and two. An incomplete pass to Clyde E. Layers broken up, and LSU punts the football. Uh, It goes out of bounds at the Clemson 18. So the Tigers assume control of the football fairly deep uh, in their own territory. But, okay, so here's this drive. So first and 10 at the 18. Uh, Trevor Lawrence hits Justin Ross for 11 yards. Now the Tigers are out to the 29-yard line. Uh, they on second, or excuse me, on first and 10 at the 29. Lawrence is an incomplete pass to Joseph Ngata that was broken up by Kristen Fulton. Second and 10, Lawrence has a complete pass to Etienne. It goes for three yards out, out to the 32. And then on third and seven, Trevor Lawrence throws an incomplete pass to T. Higgins. Now I'm going to tell you, in fairness, that previous play to Joseph Ngata, if he makes that reception. And it comes close. Matter of fact, that play went to review, uh, if you may not remember. But that that play I was talking about a little bit ago, uh, I guess that was what the that was what the second down play or the the first down play in that series. Um, that was a catchable ball that Joseph Finn got ahead on first down. That would have been for about it would have been close to a first down. Uh, certainly, uh, the next play with a three yard pickup by. Travis Etienne, who almost broke that play uh, into the open field, is another, you know, one of those plays that kind of gets away from you. But there was a lot of pressure there on Trevor Lawrence. But the third and seven throw and, and the play that went to T. Higgins is the one I want to focus on because it hit Higgins in his hands coming across the middle, and the ball popped up. It was nearly intercepted. 
But watching that play several times, I mean, if T. Higgins catches that ball, he he may still be running. I mean, he was coming across the field, plenty of space available, and uh, just you know, a little too much mustard on it. So there were two plays there that were catchable balls that Clemson dropped. That's not on Lawrence. And then the other play was an opportunity where Travis Etienne, as explosive as he is, I mean, he's in a situation where he's literally got blockers in front but just happens to get run down from behind. And so uh, it's tough to put all of that uh, on Trevor Lawrence. You know, and I feel like because they got beat, people want to put the onus on Lawrence because he's the big name. But I'm telling you, if Higgins catches that football, I'm not so certain that uh, he's not still in the clear. I mean, watching it from multiple angles, he would have had he had a pretty tough time there. It may have been Del Pitt who was back there uh, behind him. But good gravy, that drive, a lot of opportunities that were left uh, on the table for sure. Now the following drive, Travis Etienne, excuse me, uh, Trevor Lawrence breaks out, picks up about six yards on first down. Second down, uh, he's got Justin Ross, and there's a pass interference called, and it, the ball was actually intercepted on the play, but a, a PI would uh, give Clemson the ball back and help them uh, continue to advance this drive again. Down ten, four minutes and you know thirty some odd seconds remaining, and it was a very obvious pass interference call there i know the lsu fans in you know in the stadium didn't like it so again on first down from about the 42 clemson tries to go over the top to justin ross but he couldn't get any separation and that uh, that to me was not as much about trevor lawrence being off i mean that was just fantastic defense from lsu a little clutching and grabbing but nothing excessive nothing that would make you go absolutely insane about it uh, they think try to uh, hit ETN on the next play, but there was a um, false start on Tremaine Anchor. We had a couple of uh, issues in the game, as my memory serves me, kind of watching it go back. Uh, they go underneath the ETN. That one's gobbled up. and So now you've had the incomplete pass. You pick up essentially nothing, and your back's against the wall uh, heading into the, the biggest third down perhaps of the game at third and 16 at your own 39-yard line. And so you've sort of dug this hole by not running the ball. Now that next throw to the outside edge is high. But my goodness, first off, you're short of the sticks because you got to pick up 16 yards. And you're in this spot because you failed to run the football a few times, maybe on first down. You know, on first down, instead of throwing the ball deep down the left side to, uh, to Justin Ross, maybe instead what you should do there is run the football, try to pick up four or five yards, give yourselves a real chance. And again, you're down 10 with four minutes to go, but this game was a lot closer than most people would like you to believe based on the final score. And LSU had play after play where there was some frustration that that took place. Joe Burrow getting out of the pocket and finding some guys underneath. But, you know, that's what heady quarterbacks do. That's what Trevor Lawrence has done his whole career. So... The fact of the matter remains that, yeah, the game finished uh, without Clemson, uh, you know, really feeling like on the scoreboard they were competitive. But you had a couple of possessions in the second half where you were within striking distance. Uh, the Tigers failed to do that. 
that's the difference in winning and losing the game. It, to me, didn't come down to, oh, LSU was just light years ahead of Clemson. It came down to what a lot of games come down to, who makes the most of their opportunities. And then, you know, Clemson, before they gave up their last touchdown, LSU got the ball back after an LSU missed field goal. You know, the Tigers took over at the 27-yard line, tried to run a little option to ETN on second and 12, low pass to T. Higgins, catchable ball, though. Third and 12, you know, as you're heading to uh, the end of the third quarter, about a minute left, it's a, a high throw, hits Ross in his hands, and he, he just can't quite come down with it. A little pressure there, maybe a little high, but my goodness, I mean, to put this whole thing on Trevor Lawrence, I, I think is a big, big uh, mistake. I, I really do. And and going back, I think I said four minutes left in the, the game. I, I was talking about four minutes left in the third quarter. You're right there with the ball in your hand. We had a quick break. We'll put a bow on the show next. What have you done for me lately? It's a fair question. Just don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Don't forget history. Lucky for us at Clemson, the answer to the questions, what have you done for me lately? And what have you done always are the same. We win. Final segment on a Thursday, putting a bow on it. Lawton Swan, thanks to Tim Bray for getting into some of those great memories. And again, head over to our website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. Right now, if you hate typing, ClemsonRadio.com. I'll save you a couple of keystrokes and still get you to the same place. But uh, learn more about the uh, greatest game series that's beginning this Saturday. Uh, one of our partners, um, Mark Childress, a big part of that effort, Pronk Studios. Uh, gonna tomorrow get a chance to sit down with another member of of that group, Richmond Weaver, the host of Rich Take on Sports. So, join us for that. It's gonna be a great, great Friday. Uh, Alfonso Alfonso Allen Jr., uh, who is a four star prospect out of Hollywood, Florida, uh, announced an offer from Clemson just a few minutes ago. Six foot, one hundred and seventy five pounder. Uh, watching a little bit of tape on him here uh, during the break. Uh, that note just coming out a few minutes ago, so we'll get that up for you uh, on ClemsonSportsTalk.com. But, yep, the offers are still going out, and there's an article on our page right now outlining all of the ones that have gone out over the past three or four days. It's been a lot, and I expect if we've got another name uh, coming down the line that we're going to see more names probably here in the next little bit. But Clemson's very strategic in there recruiting strategy. I mean, they, they, they do not, it's not a spray and pray mentality. I mean, they are focused on the guys they want, minimizing uh, the numbers of offers they put out, which I guess in the economic sense, 
Um, because there is less, it makes it more valuable. And uh, that's the approach that Clemson's got with it, and it it's worked well for him. But again, Alfonso Allen Jr. announcing a uh, a offer, excuse me, from Clemson. Uh, low key legend hanging out with us pops in from Tucson, Arizona, to watch the show for a few minutes. Gives us the old snake, the old scorpion, and the old cactus uh, emoji as well. And so it's great to have people all over the country listening to the show. But what is not good is what we see at Alabama right now with the Crimson Tide. Just a few minutes ago in our forums on ClemsonSportsTalk.com, I, I posted a link to this story uh, and a little snippet from it. Nearly 50 Alabama football players, quote, should go into quarantine following five, at least five positive COVID-19 tests, according to reports. The players arrived back on campus this week in accordance with the uh, SEC vote. And they were going to, of course, begin voluntary in-person athletic activities June the 8th, next Monday. Here's the thing. You've had these players that have been out. Now, not all. If you listen to Dabo Sweeney earlier in the week, Sweeney made a great point about the fact that a lot of these Clemson players have been back in Tigertown. A lot of these guys live in off-campus apartments. They've had access to come back. They hadn't been at home since March. They may have been right there in Clemson. And so, from that standpoint, unlike the non-athlete children at at Clemson, most of those kids went home, tried to sublease their apartments if they could get out of it, whatever the cases were. Well, these players, their off-campus housing is paid for. So, they don't want to stay at home. Maybe their campus life is better, or their off-campus life is better, or whatever. Maybe they just want to be in Clemson. They can be. So what will it look like when Clemson releases their numbers? I mean, obviously, from the standpoint of Clemson University, you hope that it's a, a zero effect, a negative effect, no, nobody you know, affected. But if it's five, if it's eight, and what you know, is being reported from the state of Alabama on this front is, and I think the most concerning, that number of 50 players should potentially quarantine. Uh, based on this, that comes from Simone Elish, who said, who said sources confirmed to Alabama or to Bama Insider that at least five Alabama players did test positive for COVID-19. She's told those players tested positive Tuesday, practiced together Wednesday, and got the results today. According to reports, no players showed symptoms. She was also told that nearly 50 players were together yesterday on the band field and that those players technically should be in quarantine moving forward, which would be a 14-day quarantine, I believe, if you're following protocols, which would shift Alabama's practices back technically to the 18th. Now, what happens in Clemson? What is that going to look like from the Tiger standpoint with everybody coming back? I don't know. But if you are watching the social movement that's taking place and forgetting about the virus that's still among us, 
don't lose sight of both things. Both are extremely important. Matt Conley of the state newspaper reports that some schools are releasing the number of athletes who test positive for coronavirus. Others are not. According to what Matt says, it sounds like Clemson is still sorting through exactly how to handle it. So we'll see. We may have another interesting 24 hours in terms of the coronavirus and college football looming. Check it all out on ClemsonSportsTalk.com. Listen, read, post more digital content than any other site covering your Tigers. Head over there right now. We got to get out of here. Thursday, coming to a close. Friday, right around the bend. Until tomorrow, as always, y'all take care now. And go Tigers!